I'm Scott. This is Gavin. And I'm Craig. Craig, introduce the episode, mate. What episode is it? Oh, come 97. on. 97. Okay. Hey, everyone. It's Craig here from the Majors Messel Podcast. This is episode 97. I am with the usual two guests, Gav and Scott, and nope. our other host, Todd. Two guests. Gets. You're a get. Well, it almost sounds like we're calling us guests. But just for people that aren't in Northern England, a get. What? Explain what a get is, Craig. I don't know. You don't know what it is. You just you just called us it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got off. Uh, it's been going around for years. I don't know what it means. Or no, I didn't. I didn't say you created it. I just anyway. It doesn't matter. But a get is essentially he's calling us shits. Except he was trying to watch his swearing, so we appreciate you watching your swearing there, Craig. But uh, yeah, I am Gavin. We've got a Todd on the line as well. How you doing? And we've also got uh, Mr. Scott Powers as well. Yo. So it's been a while since we recorded, actually. Before the... Chicago, right? Yeah. So the last, uh, obviously, the last episode you will have all heard was the uh, live in Chicago episode, and um, which was a lot of fun, and. Uh, yeah, and then before that, I think it was it was the sex robot one, which actually got uploaded while I was in Chicago. Uh, so it's literally been ages since we recorded. So uh, got to be back behind the mic, Craig. What have you been up to? Nothing. Oh come on, mate. We've just uh, it's been ages. You must have done something. A month. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't been up to much. So. Work's the same? Yeah. How's Leanne? It's fine. Fucking hell, mate. It's so hard to talk to. <laughs> I've got nothing else to say. I haven't done anything. Are you bored? Are you okay? Are you happy with that you've done nothing? Or I'm happy. Like I just, sometimes I just like to stay in. Well, that's fucking evident, isn't it? I've got me an house, so I don't have to like... You can stay as much as I want and whatever. Well, it's coming off for the summertime now, isn't it? So you must be outside doing gardening now. Well, we've got someone. We've got someone to do that for You've us. You've got someone to do it for you. <laughs> Fucking hell, mate! You actually pay someone to do it. Well, Leanne's mom knows someone. He does Leanne's mom's garden. So when we moved in, we got him to do the front garden because it was a mess. So, so if you see the if you see what the back garden looks like in, in the house here, you, you're fucking. Like say, yeah, get some fucking get someone to do that. Cause I, I'm not doing it. What is it like? Bushes and stuff. Uh, yeah, like bushes, weeds galore. The grass is going really tall. So you got so, you got the person that does Leanne's mum's bush to come and do your bush. Yeah. Yeah. Full time bushwhacker. Straight over his head. So, <laughs> what, mate? I've got a garden and I do it myself. Why can't you just do it? I don't like gardening. It's the most boring thing in the world. So, because well, it's hard work, that's why. So, do you pay him a lot of money or does he just 
Like, what do you do? Like, uh, it's like a tenner an hour. Ten pound an hour. And how long is he there for? Uh, it depends what the job is. Well, what fucking hell? What's the job? Let's clear the whole garden, really. Well, so well, how much do you pay him? I don't know yet. Now, when you say you say garden for the... He hasn't gave us the price or the, what he wants West, to do yet. For the Westerners, you're talking about backyard, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His okay. backyard. Does that include, like, flowers and, like, a lawn? It's not like a garden. It's not like growing potatoes and corn in the backyard. No, it's like the whole yard. Okay. I can't believe you're paying someone to do it. I can't believe Craig McCallan has got a gardener. He's moving on up. That's a good job. He did a good job of the front garden. (laughs) I bet he does for £10 a fucking hour. Jesus Christ. He fucking seen you coming, didn't he? I bet he's there for like five hours and he walks away with 50 quid. So what's what's the difference between a pound and a quid? It's the same thing. It's like a buck and a a dollar. It's like saying, yeah, a buck and a dollar. See, I've never known that. So, so a pound is kind of like a dollar in American, like yes. If you're looking at the grand scheme of monetary, yeah, yeah, it's the equivalent of. Okay. I think I think it's like a pound's like a dollar seventy-two to the U.S. dollar. I think it's shitter than that at the moment because of Brexit. The British exit from the European Union. Yep. Craig, what do you think of uh, Theresa May uh, stepping down, Nate, as the uh, Prime Minister? What do you think? What's your views on that? Shit. Don't give a shit, right? Okay. <laughs> moving on. Yeah, moving what, on. What, what do you think about in, in today uh, Queen Elizabeth's ninety-third birthday? Nah, I'm interested. Don't you think it's good that she's still working at her age? Oh yeah. Well, news, parliaments. Queen and all that doesn't interest me. Do you think she does her own garden? No. <laughs> or do you think she gets someone into her bush as well? Yeah. <laughs> I should die now. Does, does, the much, does the bush match the peach tree? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking, Craig? Are you thinking that you prefer bananas? Which is moving on. <laughs> all right, swiftly moving on. Scott, what have we got, mate? Oh, let's see. Since uh, I last seen you, man, and I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed that trip. I had a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully I can get over to you. Not a threat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, man. And, and I did listen to that episode. Oh, yeah. And and uh, I liked the ending. What was it? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was... That was funny, the Cecilia thing. So I, I don't think Todd knows this, but we, we met up with Mike B while we were there. And building up to it, I've been telling Scott that Mike's mum, because obviously Mike is part Italian, we've been telling him, telling Scott that Mike's mum, is, uh, her name is Cecilia. I just made it up. I don't know why I did. Sometimes I like to tell these little lies for no reason, just to stay the pot. And I told him her name <laughs> was Cecilia. And I was supposed to tell him before he met her, her name wasn't Cecilia. And I forgot to. First thing Scott does when he walks up to it is, nice to meet you, Cecilia. <laughs> well, that was I, I it, yeah. To, I got to see her again uh, last weekend. Yeah. So, and I think I get to see her again next weekend. Yeah. That, yeah well, he's, Mike's definitely that. going to your wrestling show. You know what? That That's what I was getting ready to say, too, man. I've just been getting ready for this uh, getting back in the ring next Saturday. So, 
Yeah. Scott Little Powers is going to actually... Now, he's been managing for a while. Now, that's where he basically shows up in a suit and doesn't do a whole lot of physical wrestling. Just just yelling and all that. Yeah, shit. just yelling. Yeah, it, it's, a big, it's a big part, though. It's like a support character, like a supporter, you know, a supporting role to keep the storyline going. Yeah, so right. When there's downtime, you can see things that the guys in the ring can't see and you can kind of direct them and, and throw things out for them to react from to get the crowd going so it's a it's a vital role and 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 you help get that person if, if he's kind of new and all that and he's trying to be a, a bad guy it's kind of like my job to make people hate him right you bring the cheap heat to him so you yeah know, for, for the guys that are green that don't understand how to create the, the heat you gotta put the heat to him yeah and cheap heat means just cheating for those uh, non-wrestling fans. Yeah, it's like a cheap pop by going in a place and just saying, it's good to be in Oklahoma, and people in Oklahoma just cheer because you said they're home state. So, so, so next easy way to get a pop. So next weekend, you are stepping back into the ring to wrestle again, is that right? June 15th, yes. Are you nervous about that? Because obviously it's you been know, quite some time, you're not getting any younger, your back's mm-hmm. fucked. No, but you know what? The last last weekend, I had some guys throw me around, just so I can get used to getting thrown around again. And yeah, man, it, it, it's like riding a bike; you just get back on and do it. So it uh, and I didn't. I, I felt good afterwards. So obviously, we you your wife's not too happy about you doing it, Karen. She's not too pleased about you getting back yeah. in, is she? not too thrilled but she'll support me yeah well that's like me and craig you know and i'm worried about you but obviously you support you craig how do you feel (laughs) 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 he's he's still thinking about that uh 10 10 pounds an hour yeah he just wants a peach (laughs) (laughs) but is it true that really brits don't really care about as much as like the rest of the world about uh, royalty, uh, it's not as big. Well, you know, what I mean, like the U.S., it's always Meghan Markle, Meghan Markle, Meghan Markle. You know, or Harry and and all that. And you were here, all the tabloids, just them everywhere. You know what I mean? I think it's just because you guys don't have one, so it's like the fact that we do have a monarchy. It's it's a you know. It's appealing to you guys because it's like, oh wow, that's really interesting. Whereas to us, it's just like, yeah, it's you know, we know it's there. But I wouldn't say that we don't support it. We're just not. We don't need to talk about it as much because it's, you know what I'm, you know well, what I mean. The monarchy yeah. now is kind of like it's tradition, and and people admire it, like acknowledge it out of respect. But they do have, like, the queen does have some power per se, but she doesn't really run the country. That's more like the prime minister and parliament, correct? Well, kind of. She, like, there's uh, the prime minister has to go to here for a lot of things, so it's not. Well, it's not. Yeah, so it's not really. It because she put Churchill in his place yeah. when 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 he tried to like uh, be bossy to her, and and she shut him down. Yeah. <laughs> and dude, just thinking about that, she's been around since World War Two, man. But she was in World War Two. She was she she was on the like served in the British uh, army in World War Two. Craig, how old's your gardener? So he's probably in his like early fifties, maybe. How oh, is he? Oh, I thought you I thought you were going to say like he's like eighty odd. 
Hey, Craig. <laughs> Craig, you pay by the hour. What ends if you're like uh, looking out the back window into the garden? He's just sitting in the shade drinking or having a smoke, and time keeps ticking. Well, then, I mean, I'm sure you probably have a break, but. Craig wouldn't care. I remember when I used to, I used to work with Craig, and he'd done a shitload of overtime. I mean, he fucking did. Like, I was going to say he worked his ass off. He didn't. He mainly did night shifts and went to sleep. But he did a load of overtime, <laughs> and it, it it accumulated to a lot of money. And they fucked up on his wage. So like when when he went and got his his, his pay stub, all the overtime was missing. And I said to him, "Fucking hell, go in and tell them and get them to fix it." And he said, "No, no, it's all right." And I was like. Craig, there's like fucking four hundred pound there that you're missing, and he's like, yeah, it's fine. And I was like, it's fucking fat. It's four hundred pound. I said, if you don't want it, please go in and ask for it and give it to me. Like you can't, you can't let it go. Anyway, he fucking let it go. He didn't care. Wasn't interested. Wow. Did all that fucking work for nothing? Why, mate? Companies love guys like you, man. <laughs> terrible, isn't it? Cheap labor. Just fucking let them get away. Didn't say or do anything. Because he didn't want the confrontation. So, to answer your question, if he's seen him out there sitting there drinking, he wouldn't. He just go, no, and that's it. <laughs> he wouldn't do anything else. He would just tot and turn his Xbox on. <laughs> anyway, we fucking we've gone off track here. We've got a guest on this episode, Scott. Who is our guest? It's a pre-recorded you know interview. This uh, this guest was pretty amazing. Uh, we learned a lot about him. His name is Mike Peters. He is the front man for uh, The Alarm, who's been around since whew, late 70s. Yeah, <clears throat> incredible guy, absolutely amazing. Not even just the music side of it, like the guy, the guys had cancer and talk about turning it around. Three times. Three times, talk about turning it around and doing something for the better. And, I mean, the guy created this uh, organization called the Love, Hope, Strength foundation and you can go to uh i think it's lovehopestrength.org and find all the information about it climb mount everest done the world's highest concert on the top of mount uh, everest you could also go to uh if you live in the u.s you can go to amazon prime and uh either rent or buy his documentary also called uh the man in the camel jacket yes yeah which is awesome, and this is based on his life, like his his you know his music career, but also you know the struggle that he faced with cancer, and uh, and just turning it around and doing what he did, which you're going to hear in the interview. I mean, just an amazing guy, and that documentary is a must watch. You know, we we will push any kind of show, book, music, whatever that of a guest that we have on, we'll push to you guys and tell you to listen to it. Obviously, because we've had them on, and it's you know it's it's our pleasure to do so. But I seriously mean it. Check out that documentary if you can. Man in the Camo Jacket came out in 2017, but uh, absolutely incredible. I mean, this guy's performed with like uh, with Bono, but you too. Um, he did a he did a show with Queen, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Like the list is endless. This this guy is like he, he's he's thought a lot of in the music industry, and uh, it was it was truly a pleasure for me and Scott to sit down and have a chat with him. He's based in Wales, in a place called Rill. Um, have you ever been to Rill, Craig? Yeah, he is. Yeah. I used to love going there as a kid. It was awesome. But anyway, yeah, we're going to go through to that interview now and get you guys to check it out. The The album, um, he's got a brand new album coming out with The Alarm called Sigma, which is out on June 28th. And there's two music videos for songs from that album, um, Blood Red Viral Black, 
Bright and Brighter Than The Sun, both absolutely amazing songs. Todd, did you get a chance to have a listen to those? I did. I checked them out, and um, but yeah, I, li- I liked it. I mean, it, it reminded me a lot of like, had certain sounds of like a U2 type of feel. Or, yes, yeah, I agree. Uh, or even like an NXS meets uh, Flock of Seagulls kind of thing. Some of their older music, it was like, um, it was just different, but I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. And then the, the album that came up before, that was called Equals, which is also a great album. That is available right now on, uh, you can go to Spotify and find that. But this album, Sigma, will be on Spotify as well, as well as everywhere else. And we urge you guys to check that out too. But here is the interview with the fantastic Mike Peters. Six Hello. Hello, is that Mike? Yeah, speaking. Hi, Mike. My hey. name's my name's Gavin, and I've got my co-host Scott on the line. Hey, Mike. Hi, how Gavin. You doing? Hi, Scott. Yeah, good. How are you guys? All right. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like ecstatics to be talking to you. Really. <laughs> cool. So I, I'm actually located in Canada. I'm in Nova Scotia, Canada. But as you can tell, I'm originally from just outside of Liverpool, the Wirral, which I'm sure you've heard of. Big. Yeah, I certainly have. Whereabouts? Um, well, I say, I don't like saying it, but Birkenhead. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Played there a couple of times. The Hamilton Club. Oh, right. Yeah. Did you ever play at the uh, Floral Pavilion in New Brighton? No, but I've been there. Oh, I've okay. been to uh, a pantomime and stuff. There. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I'm, I've spent a lot of time up in Rill as well. It's great up that way. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm still see it from the window now I'm looking down on it <laughs> amazing it, it's truly an honor to have you on here with us <laughs> well I'm honored to be here with you guys so, so you got a new album coming out and uh, we were lucky enough to get a we get to listen to it and I gotta say you nailed it again Mike it, it's a great album well thanks guys appreciate that uh, it's um yeah, you know, it, it it's uh, ties in with equals that came out last year, which we we definitely um, had a great response to that from everybody, and um, it was originally conceived as a double album anyway, and um, it, most of it was finished around a similar time frame, uh, but we just progressed with the songs from equals, and we just felt that if we put it out as a double album, a lot of the good things might have got lost in the in the vast um, array of music that that a double album entails and so we, we just went with a single album equals with the definite plan to put a second part out as the sequel with sigma uh, a year and it's actually a year and a day to the date of equals that sigma comes out on june 28th so it's all come from the same family of, of music same uh, plethora of emotions and, and inspirations that, that gave birth to the music uh, so there's definitely a um, a synergy between the two records uh, uh, without a doubt and it was originally going to be called Blood Red Viral Black which is obviously one that the title song on, that uh, kicks off the Sigma album it's the first track on the Sigma album that's got Billy Duffy from the cult playing on it and um, Dave Sharp original guitarist he plays on one of the tracks equal so it's uh, brought a lot of things together this record and um, really uh, can't wait to come out on the road and play it, and we're, we're going to be in Chicago in uh, in the summer as well. How do So it's going to be great. 
August 16th, and you know I'll be there, man. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and, and looking at your schedule and all that, 71 shows, man, between the 21st of June and March 28th. Man, that's that's crazy. Yeah, well, we've got a lot to live for, a lot of making up to do, you know, up until two years ago, when, right at the time that uh, these records were being created, um, I sort of fell off the the life ladder in a way. I, I was um, I relapsed from leukemia and uh, and and life became precarious for a little while because uh, my doctor wasn't sure if he could if I should have a transplant, which would have, which have altered the course of my life. I'd still be alive. I'm certain of that, but I might not be able to make music like I do or or, or be the sort of same kind of person I am. Uh, but uh, it, luckily for me, he he got me on a clinical trial for a new drug, which sort of liberated me from the hospital treatments that had been um, tied to for uh, every couple of weeks. Most of my adult life, I've been in hospital, I've been physical treatment to keep me going. And uh, so all of a sudden, I got this new drug, and it, it seemed to work wonders. And um, and it and it's allowed me to tour and do things for like a normal person. And and so I've been really great grateful for that so to come out and play live and have all this music with us is is uh we we, we approach it like it's the last night on earth and we've been given a second chance so i want to get as much in as i possibly can so to have a long touring period and a lot a lot of dates on the website is something you know only is not long ago three four years ago i can only dream of doing a tour that was longer than three weeks so uh it's absolutely uh, something that I, I'm really relishing, and we all are. We're lucky in the alarm. We get on so well. We're such a great family atmosphere around the whole band. We're, we're best mates. You know, we're, we're, we miss each other when we're not on the road. So, <laughs> going out on the tour is, is something we all can't wait for to be together and, and doing it every night. You know, they say that uh, you said that you just want to live a normal life but man we know that that's far from the truth because you've been diagnosed with this this cancer i hate the i hate cancer man you know just the sound of it pisses yeah. me off but the normal person would take it and and you know they they might be sitting around the house maybe you know, or or like you hear the word cancer you kind of it, it it sounds like a uh you know, like it, well, it holds you back. Sentence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you, my friend, you refuse to <laughs> give up, man. And every time you are going on tour and you just keep doing it, and then you come back to get your treatments. You know, look, my I, my my rehabilitation came through meeting incredible people in hospital. You know, nurses who who went the extra. You know, stayed on beyond the call of duty to get me right, and uh, that that was that was the inspiring thing for me. And I felt like I owed it to them to get back out on stage, you see the, the skill and the dedication of the doctors and the that that were working there, everything they had, giving everything they had to to get me well was was incredible. And I I I really felt like I owed it to them to 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 show them that that what they do works, and 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 I think. You know, I'm the first of many now that young people who 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 are being diagnosed with these hard, you know, diseases that pisses all off. But that now people are, are there's more and more like me coming through that who are who who are fitting the cancer treatments around their normal life, getting on with having their kids, going back to work the next day after chemotherapy, 
the, the treatments are there, the therapies are there, the, the medicines are there to, to help us win. And, and I just, through our charity, we created Love, Hope, Strength. We try to represent the new face of people who do live with cancer. You know, they, they live with it. They don't die of it anymore. And it, it, not everyone is as lucky as that. I get that. You know, a lot of people were, were still going to lose their life. But, but the, the treatments we have now and the, the dedication, the nurses and the, and the doctors means you can still get one more life, one more day, you know, and that's got to be worth hanging in there for, you know, I think yeah, if, we all, if we all said, look, you, this is how many days you've got to live, but if you do this, you're going to get one more day. We all take that opportunity. And that's what the, these people are, get, are giving us now. And uh, so everyone now has got a fighting chance to, to uh, the work, you know, that not always going to live, but they'll get a chance to extend their life, which means they can have one more hug with their kids or, tell the wife they love them one more time or play their favourite record one more time and hear it again or stay alive to the second half to see if the team have won the league or not. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. See, see, one one thing that, that that I noticed when we watched the documentary Man in the Camo Jacket is that your life is, it, it really is, for me personally, it's it's one of the greatest success stories I've ever heard. I mean, you know, you, you get you get cancer, and and you know, like like Scott said, you know, most people would just they'd act as if they're the victim, and you never did that. You've completely turned it around. You're constantly fighting this war against cancer, and you know, you've with the with the Love Hope Strength Foundation, you, you've you've raised so much money and and for charity doing the things that you do. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Uh, it's, a, it's a northwest thing, Kevin. You probably recognise it. It's the straight out of real. Thing in me, <laughs> real rock as they call it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> look, you know, I can. You know, I've got come from a str- You know, look, I, I've I've always been luckily fairly grounded in my life through my parents and my granddad and or, or my brother and sister. They're, they're all people that talk. They never let life let me run away with life when things started happening that were good. You know, get having your first success. They always kept. My dad always used to say, "Look, Mike, don't." get too excited when the good things happen and don't get too down when the bad things happen. You know, life's a balancing act and if you can treat it as such, it will treat you in the same way and and that's how I've always been brought up and uh, so I'm lucky I have really strong parents and, and strong family and, and you know, and I, I've, I don't, you know, could probably go out the door, I'm five minutes I'm carrying this mobile phone and be at the, play, the door where I was born. So I've never strayed too far. <laughs> And um, I think it says in Man in the Camo Jacket, you know, when I was 26 and playing to thousands of people all over the world, I was still living at home with my mum and dad, you know. Yeah. <laughs> ridiculous as that. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've, I've been lucky. I've lived where I was born. And uh, and that, that's, you know, that, that has helped me. You know, a lot of people in life, they... They they re they go and live in another part of the world. They reinvent themselves, and and and, uh, and that that's that's great. But for me, I've always stayed pretty grounded where I, where I was born. And and then when 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 the shit hits the fan and tough times come, then you you that's when it all comes to play. You know the the the, kid, the lads I went to school with are still my mates and all that kind of stuff. And so when you're in hospital, you're not alone. There's people coming to see you all day long, and you know the you know you might know the nurses father or he knew he came and had a drink with my dad in the pub or something and, and that, they're things that go a long way and that's why our charity is called love hope strength because that's what we want to try and pass on to people that having that you know you can't get enough of that from your family when when those that the and you also can't quantify it you know you can look at how many drugs are being poured into your body and how much chemotherapy there is coming down the needle 
into your arm. But but you can't quantify what the love, hope and strength that you get from your family and friends is doing. And that's why we try to get across to people and tell good stories and, and share our stories. Say, look, this is how we're winning. It's because we're 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 standing up to this thing with 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 strength from our parents, from our loved ones, hope from our friends, and and uh, and, and and love from those around us, and and that's what keeps us going. And uh, and and you can't again, you can't quantify how much having a positive mental attitude uh, can help the the treatment cycles you're on. You know, being positive means you're going to be in a good mood with the nursing staff. You're going to inspire them to go that extra mile to help you. And, uh, and, you know, you get out of life what you put back. And Joe Strummer used to say you can't have input without output. And, uh, and he's right. You know, you, you've got to give out as much as you can to get back in. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's 100% correct. My mum has had cancer three times now and she's still with us. She, she was diagnosed, yeah, I think she was around like 35, 36 when she first got breast cancer. And her attitude was absolutely amazing. She got through. I was only a little kid back. I was about eight back then. And then she got oh, it again wow. in 2002. And I remember she got because I was older then, I remember when she got it, she was, somebody was talking to her about it. And I remember her saying like, oh, I'll, I'll do it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat it. It's just, it's just a shit journey I've got to go through to get there, but I'm going to do it. And it was just that attitude. Yeah. And she did it again. And then Fantastic. about five years ago, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and she's had a full hysterectomy wow. and she's, she's doing great now. She's absolutely fine. Well, and it's it's, it's it attitude, yeah, your attitude is absolutely incredible. It's brilliant. And look, when your mum was first diagnosed, there was no internet around then, probably. You no, know, nothing at all. No story. And so when when I was first diagnosed, and, and me and my wife were scared out of our wits, we thinking, "What what going to do?" And we were scrambling around trying to find stories like you just told me. And they they they're hard to come by on the internet because it's all the bad stuff that comes to the top first. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that was one of the driving factors of Love Oak Strength was let's get out there and tell our story at least so other people can find it and hang on to it and then share their stories through the mountains we climb and the gigs we put on and that there because that's what everyone wants to hear. When my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, she would have loved to talk to you and heard about your. She would have loved you to connect with with her with your mum because uh, that's your mum has survived those ordeals and that's an incredible amount of knowledge and, and that, that we need to put back into society, don't we, to, to, to allow other people to feed off your mum's energy I agree. to survive their own journeys. Yeah, because like you say, it is all the bad stuff. It's, it's, it's very rarely these, you know, these positive stories about how you, you live with it as opposed to you know, become a victim, essentially. Well, that's it. And look, look, we do live in a blame culture as well. And the hospitals are getting battered all day oh, long yeah. about what they're not doing and what, what they're doing wrong. And, and, you know, again, we try to sort of highlight, well, you know, there's probably uh, for the much as that one bad thing happened and someone's, you know, was not treated properly how they should be, maybe. But there was five lives have been saved. You know, I'm looking at, uh, across the Vale of Clue from where I am now from the Hrathic Mountain and I can see as putty Glen Cloyd, the hospital down there and there's probably a life being saved right now and one more being given birth but you don't read about that in the paper tomorrow no, no. we'll just read about how the funds have been misused somewhere or, or they, they're not something else has gone wrong you know with a machine and couldn't help somebody but i think again national another thing we're passionate about in our family is supporting the national health because it's it, it, it's a public welfare it's a human organization and it needs support by all of us you can't we can't just rely on the government to fund it you know, it's different in America and Canada. Health care systems are different, but here, here in Britain, it's funded through 
you know, government or or through public donation. And, and, and so we, we felt we, we could do, you know, I've been the recipient of incredible treatment and I got it all for free. Yeah, I never had to pay for one penny of my treatment to keep me alive. And I've been, you know, about, about knocking on that and drawing from that well since 1995. So I must have had, you know, millions of pounds worth of health care thrown in my direction. So, you know, what, what I've been able to raise almost totally scratches the surface of what I've received. But it's, um, you know, that we try to do everything we can. And, uh, you know, and it's a different ask in Britain. And we're support the healthcare system in Britain it's different because people have received free care in America where it's more insurance led it's a different ask you know that, that's why we focus on doing BOMO drives in America and having people get onto the BOMO registry to uh, you know become life saving matches and <clears throat> we, again we found a lot through that process as well and, you, and you're doing that as part of this tour in the States aren't you? You, you you're doing the drive before each show is that right uh, on this tour, we do, yeah, yeah. We, we we always do them at alarm concerts, but we do we do them at lo- loads of other bands. You know, we we've worked with everyone from like Kenny Chesney, the country singer, to Ozzy Osbourne, heavy metal superstar, and and everything from Flogging Mori and Rancid in between, and uh, Andrew McMahon, all, all kinds of people. We've been on tour with them, swabbing at their gigs or festivals like Lollapalooza or um, Riot Fest, or, or Bonnaroo, or, all kinds of places, outside lands. We put pop-up in all sorts of places, swabbing cheeks, trying to get people on the list to save lives. Um, we've rested over uh, 200,000 people now, and, and we've found over 4,500 matches. We don't, we don't do it in, um, in Canada, because uh, the Canadian government are very switched on how um, bone marrow donation can help save lives in the community, and we've uh, got a very good system there. That's absolutely amazing that you yeah. d- that you're doing that. I mean, yeah. it's like a genius idea, really, to do that at these shows as well. It's such a you know everybody's there for you know for the music, and then to do that, you just feel so great, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, look, what we do is when we, when we do a drive, say you know we do we do a lot with Frank Turner, who's, who's British singer, and we've done a lot of his shows in America and, and the UK, and uh, I think we've saved over thirty lives at his concert. Thirty of his fans, more than you know, he's got. Two or three hundred fans have signed up on the registry, and um, you know quite a number of those have stepped forward to be life-saving matches. And same with the alarm; a lot, lot of the alarm community have had their cheeks swabbed. My best mate from Real, I grew up within Edward Henry Street in Real. He he came to one of the gigs, got his cheeks swabbed, and a few months later he was matched. And he 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 gave his blood to save the life of somebody in Germany, and uh, and he describes it to me as the best thing he's ever done in his life. And, wow. and that happened from coming to a gig. You know, and, uh, and 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 all he has to do, it's a simple procedure because it's a cheek swab and and fill out some information so we can track you through life. And then you go on to an international stem cell registry. And if you match with somebody around the world who's got your DNA structure, you'll then give blood and that blood will be uh, anonymously donated to that person somewhere in the world. Wow. And hopefully they'll have the transplant that will save their life. Uh- and then after two years... You can find out whether you want to, uh, you know, you can exchange details if, if you want to. You know, there's no pressure to meet your the donor or recipient. So, uh, you know, some great stories coming out there now. We've been doing it for a few years of people who have uh, had their lives saved by individuals. You know, people have been to a Levelers concert, some, some guy there saved somebody's life and they've met and think it's the most amazing thing. And it's literally so that simple. It's, be, it's literally just you just go and give blood. That's That's it. It's yeah, it's a little bit more. It's slightly more complicated, than that, but in most cases, that's what happens. But they 
what they do now is they stimulate. They take. They give you some drugs about four or five days out from the from the harvesting of the blood, and and those drugs will, will stimulate the. They basically um, eject the the stem cells is pre, like premature blood inside the bone, and it ah. makes sure it makes it re- releases that. Uh, those stem cells into the bloodstream like premature blood and then we'll, we'll harvest them out out of, by giving blood we'll take them out of your, your blood harvest it and then put the, the your normal blood back in but the premature stem cells will then get delivered to the person who needs a transplant and then and hopefully it will save their life you know it's not it's not guaranteed not everyone uh, accepts uh, you know the, the the immune system of another person but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, more than often than not, it's, it's doing so, you know, it gets better and better all the time, you know, as, as the the uh, transplant procedure gets refined through experience and, and the skill of uh, doctors and medical teams. That's incredible. Well, August 16th, you can expect me to be in the front of the line uh, to do that. At, in, <laughs> Brilliant. In, in Chicago, man. And, and, uh, You're it, most welcome. Like Gavin said, man, it, it's such an honor and humbling experience just to be talking to you, man, and 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 talking about this and and with your uh, Love Hope Strength Foundation you, on the documentary you performed at the base camp on Everest, which is I, I can't even say amazing is not even a word that, that you know, but from the person that was there man can you like walk us through like you know of course i'm sure the documentary was cut down a little bit you know but man the view from up there the just the sound it had to be great yeah, it was spectacular i mean it was a tough uh journey to get there because we, we actually went above base camp we were we were at a peak called Kalapatar, uh which um we worked out in advance qualified us to uh qualify for the uh, the guinness world record for the highest gig on land uh we weren't putting anyone's life in danger by going there but uh, it was a tough climb and we'd been hiking for a week to get there through the Cumbu valley and, and it which is beautiful and uh, it was awe-inspiring to be there for all of us we had glenn tilbrook from squeeze there and slim jim from the stray cats and the guys from the fix were there and uh, and nick harper and, and um, and we really bonded as a band, as well as with all the trekkers. There was 38 of us there. And uh, it was, uh, you know, as, as the higher we got, the tougher it got with the altitude and and uh, the living accommodations were challenging. Food was challenging. Uh, and I, I remember the, the final day, uh, things were getting a little bit to breaking point. And uh, we had about a thousand feet to go up the, this peak in Kalapatar. And it, it, that was probably the hardest climb of the of the journey. And um, Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze was uh, particularly ill with the altitude. And every five feet, he had to stop and be sick and and then regain himself. But he carried himself all the way. He made it to the top. And then uh, we all assembled to do the gig. And as soon as you put a guitar in in Glenn's hands, it was like he was reborn. And he was wow. like, he was at the Hammersmith Palais or something, and he was <laughs> he was doing a Chuck Berry duck walk, at, you know, at the altitude, <laughs> as if he was uh, back on dry land. It was amazing, and and I think we were all, you know, we all were, the fact that we got to that that altitude was uh, pretty. Um, it was amazing for everybody, and that uh, we'd all 
made such an effort to get there that we did it as one. It was it was fantastic. Nobody got left behind. We all made it, you know, uh, to where we wanted to get to. And um, you know, and it was world news at the time. It went everywhere. It was it was pretty amazing. And uh, we put our charity on the map and highlighted what we were trying to do. And uh, and, we, and we, the weather we did, uh, the weather looked amazing. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. I mean, it was uh, clear skies. Uh, it was uh, absolutely. We were in the peak climbing season where they have the the windows of opportunity to go to the summit, and there were teams at base camp who were planning their summit ex- expeditions right there and then. So we, we were in that window. There was people camped up on the high uh, passes up on Everest, ready to go for. Um, for summit attempts and things like that, so and all that atmosphere is prevalent when you're there. It's uh, and it's it's funny because altitude at that level it can affect people in different ways. It can it can make some people really angry and kind of uh, upset about the situation, and it's not. It's just the way their brains are being twisted at that altitude. So it's um, it, it can affect people in all kinds of ways. I was quite lucky uh, that it didn't. I didn't really. I wasn't that affected by the actual altitude itself, so uh, I, I was okay. But some people struggled. But uh, when you're doing it together, something like that, and you've got, and the mission was to, to you know, tell people about love, hope, strength, and show that myself and some of the other people that had had cancer could come back from their treatments and can go to Everest and do these amazing things. It was all part of giving, sowing that seed in, in the minds of other people who were being diagnosed that day or, or the following days, reading the story and thinking, okay, like Gavin's mum, you know, they were reading our story and thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna approach it like that. I'm gonna, when I get well, I'm gonna go to Everest. I can, I'm gonna show everyone I can come back from this disease and I can do incredible things too. And that, and that's what we were, we were, we were there to do. And uh, that's what's happened every day since. Someone's <coughs> taken up the challenge. We're, we're going to Iceland. Uh, this year we're hiking in Iceland for three days um, you know again spreading the good news showing people what you can do we've got other people who've just recovered from their illnesses hiking we did the Grand Canyon last summer we had Billy Duffy from the cult with us down there and Robin Wilson from the Gym Blossoms and we've got some great people coming this year and uh, we've, all, we've got other adventures planned for, for 2020 as well so it's a uh, you know good time to be alive Amazing. So, so the, the the man in the camo jacket is the documentary that came out in 2017. Absolutely amazing. Now I'm just curious, where did where was the idea for that first conceived? To uh, actually do honest, a documentary. Um, we, we, yeah, the director um, Russ Kendall uh, came. He was producing a television show uh, called The Song That Changed My Life, which you can find online. Oh yeah, I see. I, I watched and, um, it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, he, he came, and then he came with his team to meet us in Wales, and uh, we, we took him on that, we exposed him to our life, and he, he had no idea, he, he was really coming to do this about me choosing a song that changed my life, which I'd said was in a big country, because um, when I was having treatment, that came on my iPod, and, and it was, you know, Stay Alive was the lyric, and I, I really focused on that, and uh, so I, I chose that song. And um, and then Russ saw the whole life we had. He, he was blown away and by Love Up Strength and what we were doing. And he said, Mike, this is a documentary. Let, I've got to tell this whole story, not just about a song that changed your life. So that was, he carried that forward. He realized that we'd, we'd uh, created a lot of film on our adventures uh, to Everest and Kilimanjaro, other treks we'd done to Peru and places like that. 
and we had all this footage. And so Russ set about bringing it together as documentary, and uh, and it and that's what, where Man in the Camera Jacket came from. And through your Love Hope Strength Foundation, it brought you face to face with Prince Charles to receive your MBE, which is again amazing, man. I meant because nobody else that we've ever talked to has ever received one, you know, and and. Uh, Man, it's such a high honor, and I, I want to say congratulations on that. Um, well, thanks, but uh, you know, to be, I, I received it because it, it was an honor for Love, Hope, Strength. It was for the alarm. It's for our family. You know, I was very proud to accept it for our family, but also for all the people who support Love, Hope, Strength and all the work that's been done. And um, you know, we, I described it as a multitude of brilliant efforts in the press when I received the news, because it, it wasn't just me that created the environment for that award it was all the people who climbed snowden or everest or had the cheek swabbed or raised funds to support what we do with love hope strength so what was the experience like when you went to the was it at the palace yeah it was uh, i received a letter uh, from the cabinet office and the prime minister uh, asking if i'd accept the award uh, i wrote back said i would and um and then it was sent up to buckingham palace and then i received an invitation from the Lord Chancellery from, on behalf of the Queen to go to Buckingham Palace and receive the award. And uh, it was a pretty immense occasion. Went down with, with, with the kids and with my wife, Jules, and uh, and we, the four of us were allowed in. And uh, and then I, I was uh, sort of prepped by the Chancellery team uh, to receive the award from Prince Charles, uh, the Prince of Wales. And um, as I was stepping up to the award, they have an orchestra playing in the, in the grand ballroom to, while all the uh, families are uh, waiting for their, you know, loved family members to receive their various awards and knighthoods, CBEs, all that, OBEs, MBEs. And then I was quite at the last, one of the last ones to, to receive on that day. And uh, as I was stood up waiting to, to go uh, forward, um, the, the orchestra were playing clock by uh, Coldplay. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, are they going to go in 68 guns in a minute? <laughs> but but it, was, it was quite distracting at, at first, I thought, but it sort of sat, calmed the nerves. And Prince Charles was really great. He, I'd sang for um, the National Health Service 75th birthday celebrations at Sandak Cathedral, and he'd been sat in front of me while I was singing, and uh, I, he was tapping his foot while I was playing, and I got in, did get introduced to him after that. <laughs> performance and uh he's and he remembered it when i stepped up which is really nice and uh and he was uh really grateful for the work we've been doing with love hope strength and uh, and just really nice guy and when, when he shakes your hand that's the time to step back and and move on and and, and so he shook my hand and uh it was great really great he was a really nice guy uh really uh you know knows his stuff and and really put you at, at ease and uh helped make it a fantastic day and our local mp uh, Labour MP Chris Ram from Denbyshire, he, he threw a little reception for us at the House of Commons. So we we went there after Buckingham Palace and we, we were sort of celebrating with a lot of the Love, Hope, Strength supporters and the Alarm family, but the band members were all there. And we were all there celebrating together and we, we got invited out onto the terrace for a few drinks in, in Westminster and it was, uh, it was a beautiful day all round. And uh, then we went on a train back to Wales as soon as it was all over, so it was great. Really fantastic day. 
So you're doing a lot of like, a lot of tours coming up and all that. Is there any city in particular that you love looking forward to, like playing in? I think we like, you know, the, it used to be that there were certain cities that in the 80s you had a, an affinity with, say, Boston or Chicago or, you know, New York or, or Glasgow or things like that, you know. Uh, now, now I think with the internet, it, it's um, the, 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 it's unified how things happen at shows a little bit because, uh, you know, the fans in, say, San Diego have kind of worked out what happens at the bigger cities and, and they respond to and they, they want to get in on the vibe that's going on. And uh, and that's what the social media has done. I think it's really helped spread the sort of special feeling that used to happen at alarm gigs at certain cities. It happens at more and more cities. And, and so um, and because the alarm is a band that, that responds to each city differently and, and we don't do the same thing twice, and, and the fans always expect the unexpected when they come to the alarm gig, there's always something happening on that one night will never happen anywhere else uh, uh, i think the audiences appreciate that and when when we come out on tour this summer we've got our own tour mc on the on the road we've got someone who's going to be on the road in between the bands so that when you know the conversation that's happening around the tour will continue when we're off stage as well you know because we'll have somebody on the stage taking messages from the fans t- telling people stories how they've got to the gig or what they had to uh, to do to be there to be alive in that moment, you know, spreading those good stories that people have to tell about how they've interacted and, and the and the music that we've created has helped them in their lives, and and to and to you know, just to uh, you know make sure our, our tour is alive on YouTube and social media like like um, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We'll be creating a lot of content so that even people who can't be at say when we're playing in Chicago. There'll be some part of it will go out live on the internet that people will be able to watch back in the UK and see what it's like for a British band on tour in America, and and uh, and how fans in different cities uh, re- respond to the group and how how the, the the story. You know, we've been playing. You know, we first played in Chicago in 1983, and we're still playing there in 2019. Now, there's a story in that, of and there'll be people at the Chicago going to come through with stories of playing at King Tut's. At, the, the, all the different places, the metro, or or all, all the all the little places we played along the way in Chicago and and in and around the area, and that will hopefully come through in the gig. And someone will in London will go, wow, maybe I'll go and see the Alarm in Boston in uh, Chicago on the next <laughs> tour because that's what's happening with our fans. And that, that through the stories that pop up on the internet about how people respond to us in different cities, people are travelling more and more. We just had a thing called the New York Gathering. We've had 28 years of alarm gatherings in Wales where fans can come from all over the world to North Wales and see the band in, in our home habitat, see where the music's born and created, interact with the community. Uh, it's been an incredible, like a physical manifestation of the, the relationship we've built up since the internet came along. And, uh, and, and now it's spilled over. We've had our third annual one in, in New York and we're planning one for California next year and all sorts of things. So... Um, you know, we, we've got this great growing relationship with our audience in a, in a really, uh, it, that's built on the values that, that gave birth to the band, the sort of punk rock principles of breaking the barriers down between the band and the audience. Well, the, the internet has only allowed us to sort of really implement that and, and make that even stronger, that relationship. And it's growing all the time and we're lucky to have it. So it's, um, it's a, 
it's always moving and it's a very dynamic force. And uh, we're hopefully we we'll, we can take that on and add something new to that sort of part of our relationship with our fans this year with the when we do the signature in America and the way we approach it on the internet. Could you know some good going to be some good ideas that we're trying to put into practice this time that haven't been done before and hopefully will uh, you know change the way people see touring in the future. You never know. We're, we're just going to push the boundaries as much as we can. So, so I have to ask this. Now, I'm, I'm a singer myself, and uh, I've written songs in the past. Nothing, nothing anywhere near as amazing as your stuff. But um, what is the songwriting process for you? Like, how how do you come to write a song? Where do you start? Well, often I, I you know, it's it, funny. Until this this equals Sigma album appeared, I usually wrote from the at the top of the mountain, if you like. You know, the the pinnacle of the song. I'd start with the chorus with a phrase that I thought, oh, that that that, that in, describes a melody that you can find, and it's, it's the hook line, that would be the top. Now, I'd work back and find, you know, the bridge to the chorus, and then the verse, then the intro, and then the lyrics would almost be last. That would be the last thing I'd put around the, the song. Uh, but with Sigma and Equals, it, it came from another direction. It was lyrically led. All the lyrics were written out in in this uh, in this situation. I found myself in with Jules going through breast cancer and myself in the midst of this relapse. And then once we come through the worst that, I showed Jules all these lyrics I'd written while she was in hospital or, or, or I was waiting some news or not getting news like I hoped I would. And um, and and it was Jules who said, "Really, I think my think that's your new album's in there somewhere." And I think thought about it and thought yes he's right and I, so I went to my writing studio and I laid all these lyrics out masses and masses of sheets in front of me printed them all out off my phone and and uh, and I started to look for the music in the at, the, at that in, at the bottom of the mountain and then work my way up to the choruses and so it, it this is this new album is a really different process of creative um endeavor than than previous years gone by really and, and of course, there's no strict rule because you know sometimes I've written song and, and you know we've been, put the guitars down, we've gone for a cup of tea for rehearsal, and you go to the bathroom. Next minute, you're grabbing a guitar and you've written a song around the back of the studio, <laughs> and you say, "Hey, let's have a go at this one, lads." You know, so uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's it, no rule, but I I, I think um, I, I think it my my thing is that is creativity. Be be receptive to creativity at any time. And uh, my kids will even tell you, oh, dad's, you know, he switches off and he goes off and I might have heard something that sparks off a song. And I always think you need to get it down while you can. Oh, yeah. I've often been out on a run and phone home to the answer. In the 80s, I used to phone home to the answer phone and sing lyrics in from pay boxes (laughs) while I was out on my running trips, you know, all sorts of things. And write it down, anything you can, just to. uh, Because I think if you carry a song too long in your in your head without committing it to real life somewhere you you you're not allowing enough space for everything to be creative I, you know i read things about ed sheer and he, he tries to write one or two songs every single day no matter how good or bad they are it's it's all about just keeping the process going forward all the time and uh, that's what i try to do just i'm always writing never stop that's basically the principle 
Amazing. Yeah, and it, it makes sense as well about making sure you, you you document it because I've made that mistake in the past where I've had this really catchy melody in my head or even some like really you know good lyrics. And then I'm like, oh, I'll do it later. That's a catchy tune. I won't forget that. And then it's gone. And I'm like, oh, that's lost now for yeah. all eternity. I'll never get that back. So now I always, if something comes into my mind, I'll record it on my phone because you know now we have the technology to do that. But that's an excellent idea that you used to use, just call, going into a pay phone and calling, calling home and leaving it that way. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah, well that, that now, like you say, now that you've got the, the little voice recorder on the phone, you can speak your lyrics in or sing them. It, it's a really good tool, you know, to have straight away. Now so I, I do a lot of that. I, I just miss having the scraps of paper now half the time. That's I used to have all those everywhere. Yeah, but now it's all. Um, I'm well, just scared you? of someone deleting me notes on my iPhone. Well, that happens to me anyway. Like, I'll just, I'll, I'll store, like, we've done it before. We've been to interview someone. We've written out the questions, and then we go to get them, and they've gone. I don't even know how, but they just disappear off the phone. <laughs> that's technology for you. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. So we've got, like, very, we've got five questions for you. These are called, we call them the majors top five. They're questions that you can ask anyone, and we don't dig them out for everybody, but we, we just figured that you would have some amazing answers to these questions. So if it's okay with you, we're just going to, we're going to rapid fire through these yeah. now. First question is, what one song would you say defines you? Now, it doesn't have to be an alarm song or one you've written yourself, but what's one song defines you? Ooh, that's, that's a tough question. Uh, you've put me on the spot there. Um, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I'd go for something uh, that, to define me as a, as a song. I, I'd probably put um, something like... Uh, Love Rain or Me by the by the the Who from Quadrophenia because that's my favourite album, and uh, that's just such an immense piece of music. And and I think for me, love has reigned over my life. And you know, love doesn't mean always doing the the best thing for somebody. Love can mean taking the tougher option, tough love with people. And uh, sometimes you have to uh, move away from people because you love them, because you want the best for them. And uh, so love has always dominated my life. It's, it's made me do the good things and it's made me do the hardest things that I've, I've had to do in life as well. Nice choice. Awesome. Nice. The next question is, what is the perfect meal? The perfect meal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, okay, it's, uh, it's going out for a curry after an amazing gig. And uh, the four members of the law, myself, Jules, James Stevenson and Smiley, our drummer, we dive bomb off the stage at the end of the tour and we sneak out with the fans with our hoods up and, uh, and our, our sweaty <laughs> hoodies on and we walk out with the fans and we go up the road and we find a curry house and we sit in there and we have a few beers and a curry because usually at the end of the tour is the one night I'm allowed to have a few beers and we just talk about the tour and we can't wait to get to the next one. And that is a fantastic meal to be at, but it's usually just the preserve of the band. Excellent. <laughs> so can you tell us one thing that nobody else knows about you? Now, that might seem quite tough because you appear to be a pretty open book. You know, your, your life is uh, it's <laughs> out there for everyone, really, as an inspirational story. But what would you say is one thing that no one else knows? One thing that no one else knows right now <laughs> is that I have got a copy of uh well i'll tell you one thing i haven't got i haven't I, I sang for big country for two years and i made an album with them called the journey and it's a real ode to Stuart adamson who's their singer who's a great front man brilliant friend to the alarm 
uh, all the big country wear, and I, I was able and honoured to sing for them for a couple of years to help them get through the loss of Stuart. And we made an album called The Journey, and uh, that I'm very proud of, and I don't have the orange vinyl 250 limited edition version, and I'm just looking at it now in my record collection here, and uh, you'd think I'd have every record I've ever sung, but I don't have a copy of that. Oh, wow. <laughs> You'll have to get. You'll have to get on eBay. I'd be very grateful. Yeah, yeah. Jump, jump on eBay. See what you can find. (laughs) I was looking this morning. There's one going for about fifteen hundred quid. I thought, wow, that's that's pushing it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a it's a it's a great record, and uh, you know it's a it's it's one of those records. It's like an alarm record in a way. I wrote all the lyrics, but it's really the alarm. It's big countries, and we're we're playing together in uh, in July with Big Country. We're doing a one-off show with Echo and the Bunnymen, the Stranglers, and it'll be a great great afternoon and uh, looking forward to seeing them again. So, uh, yeah, I haven't got the orange vinyl in a Big Country uh, Big Country Journey album. So if any listener out there is in a record vinyl store <laughs> and you happen to run across it, you know what to do. There's only 250. I'll, ch- I'll check, I'll check the one it. by us and I'll see if it's in there for, for you, Mike, and if it is, I'll get it for you. <laughs> Brilliant, Gavin. Thanks. So the next next question is: What inspires you? What inspires me? I, I like seeing good deeds. I, I, I get inspired by that. I like to see when somebody does good by another person for no gain, just because they they want to do right by humanity. That's that's what I get inspired by. When when I was uh, in hospital having my first night of chemo. Uh, it was weird because I had such a good sort of rock and roll relationship with my doctor. He he just didn't he didn't send me an appointment card. He just said, "I'll see you on Friday, Mike." So you came up, and on the Thursday, I was just about to go off and do a gig, and uh, I was leaving the house, and the phone went, and it was the nursing staff, and they said, "Where's Mike?" And Jules said, "Well, he's he's on his way to a gig," and they said, "Well, he's supposed to be having his chemotherapy this morning, and nobody ever has ever not turned up for their first chemotherapy." So I, I hightailed it down to the hospital, cancelled the gig, unfortunately, got to the hospital on time. And, and the, you see, the nurses had ordered this immense treatment for me that costs the NHS thousands of pounds. And if it doesn't get administered, it's wasted and it has to be thrown away. And because nobody had ever not turned up, they'd already called it up from uh, from from the pharmacy. And so um, I was very late having the chemotherapy. And the, the one nurse was was uh put me into my own room in, in in north wales if you're having your first day of chemotherapy they give it to you in a private room so you can sort of get used to it before you do it in the public wards with everyone else and i was sitting there and i was getting a bit of reaction and she was calming me down and and i, I was apologizing i'm sorry i'm late you know i really feel bad and she said, oh, there's loads of people on the ward being treated don't worry and it, this is a christmas eve and uh and so I, I started to feel another reaction coming on. I felt a bit cold. And I thought, I didn't want to disturb her. I thought, she's bound to be busy. So I sneaked out in the, with my machine with all the wires and everything and all the chemo drips. And I was going towards the coffee machine and, and the ward was pitch black. And I could hear her it behind the office saying, oh, sorry, darling, I'm, I'm, I've only got one more patient and then I'll be coming home to you and the kids. And this is about 8 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve. And I thought, oh. wow, she should have gone home at 5 o'clock. And I, I got on, I said, you, you, you've been telling lies here. You said there was loads of people. And, and she said, look, Mike, I'm an alarm fan. I used to have the poppy on my wardrobe uh, when I was oh a kid God. growing up. So it's my job to keep you alive. And I was so humbled by that. 
That's amazing. And uh, that is an, an incredible... She didn't have to do that, and that's the sort of good deed that inspires me. Yeah, that's really inspiring. So, last question. How would you like to be remembered? Making some good music, being a good husband, being a great father, uh, living a good life, you know, doing the best I can. You know, not, not, look, life's not a perfect circle. We're we always going to make right and wrong decisions. But I think if you make decisions with, from the heart, people always have respect for the decisions you make, whether they impact uh, positively or negatively out there. So I'm just trying to do the right thing, and hopefully that's how people will see I lived my life, tried to make the music that I could, the best I could, for the times and the life I was uh, given. I think you'll so, be remembered for that and, and so much more as well. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Thanks very much indeed, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, Mike, we know you got to run. And, uh, and for people listening right now and you want to know more about Mike, honestly, go check out The Man in the Camel Jacket. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on iTunes. Check out his new album, Sigma. Go to thealarm.com, see where he's going to be at, get tickets, go see Mike and the Alarm. And Mike, honestly, on August 16th, man, I hope to shake your hand and and maybe have a pint yeah. with you if you had time. Yeah, you never know. If, it's the, if it was the last night of the tour, you'd know where we'd be going to that curry house. But, uh, you know, we'll see you there. <laughs> And so, make, maybe you can make it down from Nova Scotia, Gavin, or we'll see you there, up there one of these days. I would yeah, absolutely love to. Fit any, uh, Canadian dates on this 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 leg of the tour, but it's a uh, you know there's a lot of life to come. So we'll definitely be playing Canada. We had some great shows there last year. So hopefully we'll see you one of these days. That will be amazing. And I I try and travel home every year. So and as you know, Real's not that far. So you never know. You might be doing a show locally. I can come and see you there. And I, I, Gavin, I've got one question for you. Are you a red or a blue? Do you know what? Right, my dad was never into football, so I'm not really into it. Wasn't but he? if I had to choose, it's got to be Liverpool. Me Rovers. Not yet. Yeah. Mm, yeah Liverpool. Not, yeah, I'd say Liverpool. Trammy is a bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, like the saying goes, you'll never walk alone, buddy. So love, hope, love, hope strength. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks so Thank much, Mike. Then. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. So, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as Gavin Stop and sit I still, did. Mate. I'm not even moving. All right, well, your, your fingers lighting up like you're moving around. So, anyways, hope you guys enjoyed this interview as much as Gavin and I did uh, talking to him. Uh, again, great guy. He was absolutely amazing. And check out the the Love Hope Strength uh, dot org as well. And and. Uh, read up on that foundation because I mean are you going to go do you say you're going to go to the show Scott I uh I want to go it's August 16th at the House of Blues in Chicago so if you're in the area or just go to his uh webpage and check out his schedule and uh go to his show I'm going to try to go and if you go are you going to are you going to get blood yeah I, I will man that don't even bother me that will be amazing I'd love to go. I wish you could go. We just had that amazing experience meeting BB Mac at the at the show at the House of Blues, and that was incredible. So to actually go meet Mike and see the alarm, I mean, uh, I'm jealous. If you get to go, It'd be amazing. Yeah, that, I definitely will, man. 
I just won't buy the the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Are they pricey there? Or? Uh, it was sixteen dollars for like an eight ounce Bloody Mary. Jesus, that's worse <laughs> than strip club prices. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. You know, sometimes it sounds like I'm cheap, but sixteen bucks, man, <laughs> for a mixed drink. For a mixed drink. God dang. I, I paid like 10 bucks for a Long Island iced tea, and I thought that was highway robbery. Maybe I'm cheap. Well, <laughs> also, how about this one, man? For uh, one can of Red Bull, it was 8 bucks. Fucking hell, was it? Yeah. <laughs> 8 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, what, what is it in Halifax? It's like 350 or something 359. like that. 359. And I thought that was pretty uh a, a little atrocious eight dollars so. and he didn't even give me a fucking glass <laughs> Jeez. What, what that you should have had a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> but i gotta i gotta say man my bloody mary even though it was expensive man it tastes good it was good i had a taste of it it was really good gave me the hiccups you had too much fucking spice though and then you complain about it no no because i like it but it's still, you know, when you say extra spicy, you never know. Because some bars, they'll say, yeah, okay, and they give it to you, and then it's not really spicy. And then you get this place, man, they load it up on the cayenne or the red pepper flakes or something, man. Because <laughs> it, it, like, kicked my hiccups off. <laughs> did you uh, did you get a Shirley Temple uh, chaser? or? A... No, no, man, just... Uh... <laughs> No, I left her alone that night. <laughs> so, so, let's mention uh, the, the most important thing of all, which is uh, explaining all about the Majors Metal Patreon page. Now, first and foremost, we always said we would never ask you guys for money for as long as this podcast was free for us to do. Because, and I truly do believe that, if you can do a podcast for free, which largely you can, uh, you shouldn't ask anybody to help you out with money. However, it is starting to cost us money now. Um, we've got the SoundCloud fee, which uh, is ever increasing. And uh, we've also got the website as well now, which we've got to start paying for. Um, it was hosted for free for a long time by our friend Mikey Wood, who looks after the, who created the website for us and was a web designer for the longest time. However, he's, uh, he's going through a career change at the moment. He's no longer doing web design and can't host a website anymore. So we've had to take on uh, that expense as well. So it just got to the point where I, I spoke, to, me and Craig and Scott had a discussion and, and we just figured that uh, it was time that maybe we just asked for help just to see what would happen. And uh, a lot of you guys have been absolutely wonderful and are helping us out with that, and we really do appreciate it. And we've we've come to realise that there's so much more stuff we could do um, for you guys. You know, a lot of you guys have asked for ball caps and, and vests and things like that, like tank tops, which, you know, again, especially with the ball caps, we have to front the money on that because uh, it's not like ordering T-shirts. We'd have to order a bulk amount of hats, which is fine because you can get, you know, hats that you can adjust the size of so you can literally order 25 hats and not have to worry about large medium and small and shit like that it's just little things like that you know there's other things we're talking about doing as well like uh, larger stickers and uh, bumper stickers and things like that and mugs and um there's even you can get like those funny bobbleheads i'm not saying that you guys would ever want one of those of us but i just think that would be hilarious to have <laughs> to have a craig bobblehead sitting on your desk it would be so funny <laughs> probably do more as well <laughs> Have a someone's miserable face shaking their head up, you know, <laughs> fucking 
You said it, mate. You said it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. If you if you're interested, then uh, then please, you know, just go to if you go to Patreon, search Majors Mess All, or I think it's Patreon.com forward slash Majors Mess All, and uh, it'll just take you straight through to our page. You can donate however much you want a month. I think the minimum is five dollars, but um, yeah, if if you guys want to do that, then then please do. It's really is appreciated. And all you guys that have done it so far thank you so much like seriously it means so much that you think enough of us to want to donate to see us succeed and continue on i mean that's the most humbling thing of all thank you fucking hell is that it no um, I, I i already said you. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i already I already said thanks on Twitter, and Craig said thanks on Twitter, and and uh, you know for those that don't have Twitter and all that, and there's there's my first and all that. So uh, <laughs> back to your second one, but <laughs> cool, cool. So I will, I'll stop counting here because I'll give Wes something to do while, while he listens to this. But uh, no, like Gavin said, it's very humbling now. You know, to know people enjoy the show enough to to help us out here and and donate and you know it's it helps us to continue on. So again, thank you, Craig. Come on, mate. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Come on, mate. People are donating every month. Don't know what else to say. Well, just think about that. Like people like you enough to give money, You're and you can't even favorite. be asked doing your fucking garden. Just think of that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, we'll see fucking Craig's Craig McCallan's Patreon page for his garden. <laughs> think of the garden, will you? <laughs> I can't, just can't get over the fact you've got someone in, mate. So what's wrong with that? He's, he's, you know, he does it. He gets paid to do all that sort of stuff. So. I know it's just funny to me. That's all because I ju- I just get on and do my own, and it, I don't like it, but I just do it. So it's just like just funny that you've got a garden. I never thought I'd say that. Like, yeah, but well, maybe I would do my garden, but I'm not doing it the way it is. The, the state of it now. So if it gets all cleaned up, then maybe I will do it myself. I think we need a picture of what it looks like now. He's not going to do then, that. And then what it looks like after uh, your hired help takes care of it <laughs> what's his name mate the gardener just wondering I was just going to ask that I forgot fucking hell don't take, him, don't take it all in <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it like Eduardo or something I mean it's <laughs> I mean, the guy that's, that's going to do our garden <laughs> <laughs> he's fucking Craig, you are brilliant, mate. He's going to look out the window and there's going to be like a donkey eating the grass and all that to lower it. <laughs> Might as well the lamp on Pack of goats out there. <laughs> Craig, do you want to wrap the episode, mate? Because we've had enough now. I'll be asked. Okay. Todd, Scott, Todd, do you want to yes. do the honours, mate? <clears throat> All right, everybody, this was episode 97 of Majors Mess Hall. You got to hear the uh, exclusive interview with uh, Mr. Peters from The Alarm and some other uh, post-Chicago shenanigans, so I hope you enjoyed it. 
Uh, again, keep checking this out for everyone who's donating to the uh, to the cause to help fund the Major's Mess Hall. We greatly appreciate it. It makes us feel wanted and makes us know that uh, you actually are entertained by the things we attempt to do. So uh, we appreciate that. So I'm glad you uh, are supporting us and keep checking us out. Excellent. Wasn't hard, was it, Craig? Yeah, it was. You gonna, <laughs> Craig? I think you out hard a tenner. <laughs> no, that was only uh, that was that wasn't an hour. <laughs> oh, I thought you, by a tenner you meant I was going to get like one of the three tenors, like Pavarotti or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys. Luciano. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys. Thank you for listening to episode ninety-seven, and we'll be back episode 98 take it easy yeah. Yeah. bye bye